I was, uh, I was given a gift this week. And by gift, I mean I was able to reconnect with a childhood friend. Been a long time since we'd seen one another. And it was just so good. It was so refreshing to be able to hug his neck and uh, be able to just embrace one another and spend some time breaking bread together. And uh, he gave me some advice as a preacher, but he didn't realize he was giving it to me. And I shared it with, uh, with Brother Kevin and Brother Dave. And I sent a message. I'm like, I was able to connect with, a, with a, an old friend. You know what's unique about old friends is we get to pick up right where we left off. You know what I mean? You ever had somebody that you love so much and we're so close and when you see each other, it's like the years that we were apart melted away and it's just a space of time. But we were able to just pick up where we left off because of that mutual love that we had for each other and had always been there. But he gave me a little bit of, um, he gave me a, a little bit of advice for, as a preacher, he said, I'm going to tell you right now, Huff, he says, when I go to church, I either want to walk out there feeling really bad about myself or feel really good about Jesus. But I want to know that I've been somewhere and that I felt something. I thought, man, I wish everybody else felt the same way. Fact is, we live in a world that doesn't want to feel bad about themselves at all. Matter of fact, it's all about building ourselves up. Now, doesn't mean that we as preachers ought to aim to make you feel bad about yourself. But when I look at my state and I compare it to the state of God, I don't know about you, but I realize who I am and it ain't pretty. Amen? It's not pretty. I look in the mirror and what you all see is this handsome face. That's the... That's the Y'all see it for face value, and this face is worth probably a good hundred million, I'm sure, if the right person saw it, and, one, and was rich and, and was willing to pay me to go away. Uh, this face would be worth a lot. When I look in the mirror, though, and I see the real Huff, I, really, I see him when I compare myself to the righteousness of God. And when I compare myself to the righteousness of God, I realize I fall short. And when I realize that I fall short, I realize also that not only I fall short, but everyone else falls short. And so I can't look at you and start telling you about all that you do wrong. Because when I look in the mirror and I see myself, I got enough on Huff's plate. Amen. But when we preach God righteous as he is, when we preach his character the way it is outlined in his word then we ought to see God for how great He is and we ought to see ourselves for how lowly we are. Those two ought to mutually coexist. Because I realize that I, I'll not be able to stand before God and give any excuses. There are none. There are none that'll work. But I'm thankful when I stand before God, I'll stand before God covered by the blood of His dear Son. Amen. And for that, I am thankful. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start at Jeremiah chapter 41. I know what you're thinking. Oh, Lord, he's going to cover two chapters today. We'll never get out of here. 
Somebody did ask me this week, well, how long's your service? Is about an hour? Sal started laughing. <laughs> I mean, she outright went, <laughs> like, let me explain first. <laughs> Sal said, he preaches longer than that. <laughs> I mean, she just blurted right out. Didn't at least explain. We're not going to cover two chapters today, by the way. But in Jeremiah chapter 41, we're going to read verse 17, 18, then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll continue on with the message. Would you please stand to your feet? We like to honor God by standing uh, during the reading of His Word. And chapter 41, verse 17 says this, And they went and stayed at Geruth, Chimham, near Bethlehem, intending to go to Egypt because of the Chaldeans. For they were afraid of them, because Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, had struck down Gedaliah, the son of Aachim, whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we just thank you for this time that we have to be, Lord, in your word. Father, I pray that our hearts and minds will settle in, Lord, on receiving your word with gladness. Lord, receiving the hope that is in your word. But Lord, also... Your word also, uh, Lord, exposes, Lord, our flaws. It exposes the, the parts of us, Lord, that we, that we struggle with, that we, that we fully, don't fully get to you. And so, Father, I pray today we see you high and lifted up. And we see ourselves for who we are. And, Lord, and it reminds us today. It, it, it brings to the forefront of our mind how great you are that you would love such people as us. So God, we are thankful today to be in your word. We pray, Lord, that it has an intended effect and we stand upon the promise that it will. Lord, we love you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. I just kind of want to set the backdrop, if you will. There's a remnant of Judah that is left. Remember, the kingdom has been split in two. Uh, Israel uh, and Judah. Uh, King, uh, somebody one time says, who's this Nebuchadnezzar, right? Or Nebuchadnezzar. I'm like, who are you, what are you talking about? Then they show me the Bible, I'm talking Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar. I just, poor, poor Neb had to get his name all messed up. Nebuchadnezzar has taken Jerusalem and they've taken captive the majority of the people. And you can read through Jeremiah as you see this unfold, as you see God's judgment unfold. And I love it because, you know, a lot of times people will quote Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the thoughts I have for you, plans of success. Well, the thing is, is God told him that, but you got to read the verse before that. It says, after the 70 years is up. Right? They're going in captivity for 70 years because of their idolatry and not listening to God. But this group that we see here today, starting in chapter 41 and in chapter 42, there's been a small group of people that have been left. Now, the thing about these people is the Bible tells us that it was the poorest of the poor. In other words, anybody that had anything got taken away. 
Nebuchadnezzar, they, him and his armies, they left just the poor, so the poor, just for them to just be able to kind of fend for themselves. And, and so this is, a, this is a small group, and while they were left behind, and some people think, you know, it's great that they didn't have to go into the captivity with the rest, and they should be thankful for that. I do realize that these people did have it tough. And so now that they, this remnant, if you will, that is left, right, this small piece, remnant, the small group that is left, you know, they, they, they've kind of scattered a little bit, but one of their people, Ishmael, has done went and killed the one that Nebuchadnezzar has uh, issued as governor of the area. So Ishmael killed Gedaliah, who was appointed as governor. Now, because of that, these people are scared because Ishmael has had this act of aggression. Realize that, listen, they done lost the war. Are you with me? They done lost the war. People have been taken off into captivity. By the way, it's just God's word fulfilling itself. God told them it was going to happen. Well, he first off warned them that it would happen if they didn't straighten up. And then he told them it's coming. Keep, keep, you know, my mother's keep trying my patience. That's what my mother used to say. Keep trying my patience. I'm like, well, your patience has been working good so far. I have no reason to believe it would not continue to work well. Don't ever say that to a mother when she says, try my patience. It will not end well. But God finally, he had warned them. He is a God that does what he says he's going to do. And if God warns you and says, if you continue the path that you're on, this is what's going to happen, you can bet that if you continue that path you're on, that's what you're going to get. And so they done lost the war. And then you think, why would this guy go and kill a goat? They've already lost the war. Why would you continue doing acts of war against the people who've already won and taken, have taken everything? The only thing they did leave behind is the poorest of the poor. So why would he do that? And we don't really exactly know why this guy did this, but he has went and killed the governor. And so now they're scared. Why? Because, you know, they, they were left behind and kind of left, you know, they were, they were able to kind of come and go as they want. And now this guy's done went and killed the governor. Now what is he going to do to us? You know, we've been left behind, and that's all great. We get to stay in our land and kind of make our own life. And, you know, it doesn't mean life is going to be great and easy, but the simple fact is that they didn't get carried off to Babylon. They wasn't carried off to a foreign land, and so they were able to stay in the land that they knew. And this guy has to go and mess that up by killing the governor. Now they're worried that the Chaldeans are going to see this as an act of aggression. And now he's going to come back and take revenge for the governor's death. That's where they're at. And so we see here in verse 17 and 18 that they're scared. And because of this, they're intending to go back to Egypt. Now you've got to remember what Egypt represents. Right? God delivered them out of Egypt. You know the story. They were in Egypt and... They went there to, to, to get grain originally when we followed the story of Joseph. And Joseph rescued his family. God used him there in Egypt and, and, and was able to bring him up the ranks through his faithfulness to God. He ended up second in command to the Pharaoh. 
And because of God's vision through Joseph, they were able to, to, to be able to harvest grain and save it. You know, they talked about the seven years of, of plenty versus the seven years of lean. And so his brothers came to Egypt looking for grain. And there, Joseph was reunited with his brothers. And he says, what you intended for evil, God used for good. And so there they settled in Egypt and stayed there for several hundred years. But then the Egyptians realized that the Hebrews were growing so large that they worried that if they would decide to revolt, that they would have a problem on their hands. So they started treating dealing with them harshly. You know, God eventually brought the ten plagues, called Moses into leadership, brought the ten plagues, and at the end, right, the Hebrews fled. The Pharaoh went after them, and God parted the sea so they could cross on dry land. Egypt represents the place. Egypt a lot of times represents sin or going back to your old ways or your old life. Now, you may be sitting here today, oh, Lord, the pastor's been listening to me now. He's preaching. No, listen, this message has been brewing for about a month and a half. And God said today was the day to bring it. If it hits you, then I hope that you take that as God loving you today and giving you his word to make sure that you know what it is that God would have for you. It's not me trying to straighten anybody up. Matter of fact, this message hits me very in, in some very difficult ways as well. Egypt represents going back into sin or going back to an old way or going back into a way where, where they, you know, they, they felt that they were providing for themselves. And they had intended to go to Egypt. They don't know what else to do. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times when we get to the end of our rope and we're not sure what else to do, what do we do? We go back to what we do know. You know, uh, uh, I've, I've struggled with anger over the years. I'm one of those people that, I, listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. You can come up to me and smack me and stab me in the side, and I will come pray for you. After I break your jaw and you're in the hospital, I'll come pray for you. It's the little things that, that torque me up. You can come slap me around, stab me, do all kinds of things, and I will pray for you. But it's those little things that just get me spun up and wrapped around the axle. And I don't know about you, but when, you know, when I've been, I try to live differently. I try to make sure I focus on, on being able to kind of spend time in God's Word and spend time alone with Him and, and, you know, and really strive to live in a way that is pleasing to Him. But when I come to the end of my rope, I don't know about you, I sometimes want to revert back to the old me. Anybody ever wanted to revert back to the old you because the new you ain't working so well? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Go back into the thing. You know, back the way I used to do it, I got things done. I made things happen. And sometimes when you're trying to live right before God and you have to depend on Him, He does things in a timetable that's different than yours or different than mine. And I get tired of waiting upon the Lord. Do you ever get tired of waiting on the Lord? I wonder sometimes, why does the Lord take so long? Why does He do it that way? And I don't know about you, but there's times that I revert back to being the old huff. Where I get tired of waiting, and so I, I take it into my own hands. 
Or sometimes I even think, I don't know about you, but sometimes I even think that, you know, that I could control this ship better myself. You know, God, you, you gave me the wisdom and the smarts to be able to, to do some things, and it's, it served me well in life. And so, you know, I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and I'll tell you what, Lord, I'll let you know when I need you. Otherwise, I got control of this thing. When it gets where I can't handle it, I'll, I'll bring you in and I'll read you in. But until then, anybody else ever feel like that? But these people have gotten to that place where they're at the end of the rope. They, listen, they don't know what else to do. Remember that, the, you know, by the way, the Chaldeans, Babylonians, same people. Some people refer to them as the Chaldeans. The Babylonians are one in the same, right? It's like saying the rednecks or the West Virginians. It's the same, right? It's all good. We don't mind either, right? Or you could say the West Virginians or the Mountaineers, right? Either way, referring to the same group. And so the Chaldeans have done come in and took everything and took all the people who were, had anything of note. It's only the poor of the poor left anyway. And here they are. They, they, they don't know what to do. And they've now somebody's killed the governor and they're worried about the Chaldeans coming back in and just finishing them off. And they don't know what to do. And this problem that they have is beyond their ability to reason. And so the only thing they know to do is to go back the old way you know what back in Egypt do you know how many times the Israelites said that to Moses back in Egypt back in Egypt we had onions and leeks and potatoes and all those things remember that they got tired of eating manna back in Egypt right this waiting on God thing sometimes it's hard to do but back in Egypt I didn't have to do that everything food was there Back in Egypt, I knew what to do. Back in Egypt, I was able to work with my hands and earn what I need. Now I've got to sit here and I've got to wait upon God and allow Him to act in my life and allow Him to steer me. And I don't know about you, but I get tired of waiting. That's where they're at now. They don't know what else to do. The only thing they know how to do is go back to Egypt. But they got this one last thing that they're going to try. And that's where we break into chapter 42. You see, they go to Jeremiah the prophet. And they decide to ask him to go to the Lord. Basically wanting to see if there was an easier way or another way. And so we pick up at Jeremiah 42, starting at verse 1. It says, Then all the commanders of the forces, and Johanan, the son of Kariah, and Jezaniah, and the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near, and they said to Jeremiah the prophet, Let our plea for mercy come before you, and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request, and whatever the Lord answers, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends to us. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. 
So what do we see here? We see that they come to Jeremiah and they say, listen, Jeremiah, we are at the end of our rope. We don't know what to do. So here's what we're doing. We want you to go to the Lord. Now, there was a key phrase there. They asked to Jeremiah to go to the Lord, right? Your God. Now think about that phrase. Jeremiah, would you go to the Lord, your God? Wait a second. He was supposed to be their God too. And what's unique sometimes when we're at the end of our rope, when we ask people to pray, it's almost like at this point, we're not sure if we belong to God or not. Anybody else ever felt like that? When you, 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 you kind of end up in a really hard spot, you don't know what to do. You're not for sure. You know, you know that you had sinned against God. You know that's why, the, the, why the, the Babylonians came and was able to destroy Jerusalem. We know that. So we already know that God is delivering out His wrath, but they are the only people that are left in this place and they're to enter the rope and they know that somebody among them, Ishmael, has done something really bad. So at this point, we're not even sure if God loves us. Not even sure if God would do anything for us. So we're going to go to Jeremiah, the one that we know has been faithful and that God speaks to him. He's his prophet. And so, Jeremiah, we want you to go to the Lord your God. Isn't that what the devil tries to do to us, though? We sometimes get to the point where we're in a tough spot, and sometimes we're in a tough spot by our own doing. Sometimes we're in a tough spot that just is a tough spot. Maybe it's somebody else's doing, or maybe it's just the circumstances come upon us, but we know that there is not a thing that doesn't happen to which God does not have a reason, and we need to trust that wholeheartedly. But that is the time where the devil wants to come in, and he wants to make you think that you're in this tough time, and that if God loved you, he wouldn't allow you to be here and experience such difficulty. So you get Get to the point where you're saying, listen, if I'm experiencing such tough times, if I'm experiencing such rough things, then maybe I'm not God's at all. You ever been there? That's what the devil likes to do. He likes to tell you, listen, I like that song, the devil is a liar. Your circumstance and the difficulty you're in, whether you've caused it by your own hand or whether by the hand of someone else or just circumstances that have come together and you end up being, you know, uh, just, just in the middle of it by, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. God still loves you. The devil wants you to think that if you cause it by your own hand, well, you know you're not worthy of it now. Why would God do anything for you seeing what you have done? Anybody ever felt that? Or the devil says if you didn't cause it, the devil will actually tell you, oh, listen, if God really loved you, then why would he let you experience such difficulty? Have you not read Joel's book? It was a joke, by the way. <laughs> I haven't read it either, by the way. You know, have your best life now, that book. The devil uses things like that. You're experiencing difficulty and you're going through pain, so is there any way they, I mean, how can, how can you say that God loves you when you let you experience such harsh conditions? But we know the devil is a liar. The simple fact is, listen, the Bible tells us, and Jesus said plainly that we'll go through difficult times. He also said that we'd be persecuted for his cause, amen, because we lift up his name that we'd be persecuted for that. But we're all going to experience difficulties. We're all going to go through troubled life. I believe it was Job who said that 
that a man's time here is short and full of troubles. There is difficulty. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's full of sin. You see, the devil wants to go around blaming God for this kind of stuff. If God loved, if God loved, if God... Listen, if God loved you, and He does, then He'd make a way for you, and He has. Amen? The devil wants to keep harping on it. If God loves you, if God loves you... Listen, God did love me. God does love me. He does care because He sent His Son to die for me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and who shall ever believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And it goes on to say that He did not come in to condemn the world, because the world is condemned already. We are born into sin. It is our nature to sin. The devil wants to lie and wants to pin this stuff as somehow that God is responsible for this, when it is you and I, amen, that have sinned and have fallen short. God is perfect. Yet we see in His Word that He loves and He cares. So much that He sent His Son to die for us. But I don't know about you, there's been times, and let's just be honest, there's been times that I've, been, that I've sat and I've wondered, God, I, am I even saved at all? You ever been there? Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. And because of this difficult thing that's going on, and the devil keeps speaking to my ear. And now I'm starting to question whether you love me, and I'm starting to question, do I belong to you? Because that's where the devil wants to get us. He wants to get us to the place where we'll question whether God cares and whether God loves us or not. And so here we see the remnant of Judah that God's allowed to stay in the land. God has already given them a gift, but yet somehow they can't see this beautiful gift that God's allowed them to stay in the land while everybody else was carried off into captivity. They can't look, they can't see the gift for just looking at the circumstance and looking through the lens of fear. You see, this is a matter of faith versus fear. You see, there are times, I don't know about you, but we live in a world that wants to go on feelings, feelings, feelings. You know the song, feelings, talking about feelings, trying to forget my feelings of love, feelings. And that's the world we live in, feelings. Well, I don't feel that. Well, I'm not sure. I don't feel that. I can't tell you how many times that I've actually went and opened up the Scripture and said, this is what God says, and I have someone reply back to me, yeah, Huff, I understand that, but I don't feel that, and fill in the blank. You see, if we're going to look through a lens of fear, we look through that lens because we are going on our feelings. And our feelings are just, you know, like the wind, so to speak. You ever met someone that when they walked in in the morning to work, it looked like the worst thing, the bottom lip is dragging the floor, right? And, right? and then one little thing happened. 
Like they went to the candy machine and, and the cafeteria at work and they put in their 50 cents. Instead of getting one Snickers bar, they got two. And they're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, I'm back on top. Y'all know what I'm saying? I mean, all it takes is one little thing. Got two pack of peanut butter crackers today for 50 cents. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. But you let them lose 50 cents in that candy machine next week. And oh, gloom, despair, and agony. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're going to go on feelings, then you know what's going to happen to your spiritual life? It's going to be just like this. Why? Because listen, we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. There are times that I feel bad. There are times that I feel like I'm going through the ringer. I don't know if you remember the old ringer washers, right? You put the ringer, you take them clothes and crank them through and you just squeeze to death and all oh, the water comes rushing out. You just squeeze. And I feel like I'm in a ringer sometimes. And I don't feel like Keep going on, right? I like the old gospel song. I feel like traveling on. Yes, I feel like traveling on. My heavenly home is bright and fair. I feel like traveling. Sometimes I don't feel like traveling on at all. I want to write a song that tells the real deal. I feel like sitting here and doing nothing. I feel like climbing under a rock. I feel like I'm underneath of the tires of that motorhome. I feel like I've been flattened out, right? But when we go by feelings, this is what happens. And so we see that they come in, they're at the end of the rope, and they, they come here and they make a promise. They make a promise that, you know, whatever God says we'll do, but we want you to pray to the Lord your God. And sometimes you and I, we find ourselves at that moment in time where we are just been squeezed out as been tight as we can squeeze, and the devil wants to be chomping in our ear with the Lord really loves you, then why you got to go through this? Why? Listen, I, I, we have to go through difficult things. Some of these things we'll never understand and we'll never know here on this side of earth, but this is where faith comes in, folks. This is where faith is put to the test and true faith will be able to stand the test and say, while I don't feel like I'm saved, I know what the promises of God says, amen, that if I would confess Him as Lord, amen, that I would be saved, that if I'd put my trust in Him and call Him Lord, amen, and believe in Him with my whole heart, the Bible says that I will be His and His will be mine. Not only that, it says that I'm indwelled with the Holy Spirit so that He leads me and He's never, I'm never alone, I'm never without Him. And when I go to the Word of God and I see that the mercy that God has promised us if we would call him Lord when I don't feel like I'm saved by God in his word I can declare that I'm saved amen sometimes we've got to go to the word of God because our feelings our feelings are going to cause us to make bad decisions our feelings are going to cause us to live life differently now listen God made us Emotional beings. We are made in His image. And we are emotional. I don't want don't to say that's not true. It is. But there does come times where we have to live in faith. And dispel our fears. And what we feel is happening and what we feel God is doing. And instead we need to trust what we know the Bible says about God. 
and trust what he says is true. By the way, they said that uh, whether it is good or bad, they will obey the word of the Lord. Can I tell you something today? The only word the Lord has is good. Amen. The only word God has is good. Even, even when he speaks judgment against us, it is good. Why? Because his justice is perfect. How many times have you ever looked at the world and you're like, man, where's justice when you need it? We see bad people keep getting more and more and more and we worry about justice. Listen, God's justice is perfect. There'll be no one to escape it. By the way, God's justice is the only real justice there is. We have a justice system in our country, but how many times have we seen innocent people go to jail and guilty people go free? Amen? They said whether it's good or it's bad. So we already see how they're thinking. They're intending to go to Egypt, but this is a last-ditch effort. And let me tell you something today, church. God cannot be the last-ditch effort. If we're going to have faith in God, we've got to put our whole faith. That's why I chose the song, I Surrender All. I've got to surrender my whole life to Him. Even my thought process. He said, have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That I have to trust God to know that there is a plan and know that whatever it is that I must go through this life, that there is an absolute purpose. That there is a reason. And that everything that God does is good. He's the one who defines good. There are a lot of things that are good for us that we would declare as bad. You know, Sal's eating all healthy now. And supposedly that's good. But it tastes bad. And she takes leaves that look like they belong out in the, I don't know, not a garden. Gardens for good stuff. That's where you grow corn and potatoes. Those are the real vegetables that people like. Not that else. Matter of fact, I was out here cleaning out around the sign one time. And I was all proud of myself. Sal and Mary come walking down through there. I said, hey, I got all them weeds out of there. Mary said, there's not weeds. There was flowers. Looked like weeds. I pulled them. I thought they was bad. They still hardly any flowers growing at one side, and I don't. It's not my fault. We try to we try to define good and bad, and that's for the Lord to define. But even something that may seem bad, like health food, is good. And you see, in life, if you're if your purpose for living is more than just what kind of fun you could have here, what kind of pleasures you can give yourself here, then your life is going to be not have a whole lot of purpose. You see, if our whole purpose for living is just a, what kind of pleasure I can get, then when you're living through those difficult times, it makes it the, the most unreasonable time at all, ever. But when you realize that I'm here to bring glory to God, and so instead I'm going to walk through this valley with my hands held high, 
And I'm going to lift him up and praise him. Because my life here is not just about getting pleasure here. My life here, my sole purpose is to lay up treasures in heaven. So when I get there, I'm going to be there forever. I'm not going to try to build up for treasures here where the Bible says that, that moth and rust, they, they eat them. But instead, I'm going to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't touch it. And I'll be able to enjoy the fruits of my labor forever and ever. And so we, we realize that only God can define that. So here we see the remnant, they're wanting a different way. So they go to Jeremiah chapter 42, starting at verse 7. It says, At the end of ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he summoned Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea for mercy before him. This is what God says. If you will remain in this land then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you, not pluck you up, for I relent of the disaster that I did to you. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. I will grant you mercy that, that he may have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. But if you say we will not remain in this land disobeying the Lord your God and saying, no, we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall not see war or hear the sound of the trumpet or be hungry for bread and we will dwell there. Then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. If you set your faces to enter Egypt and to go live there, then the sword that you shall fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt and the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you in Egypt and there you shall die. All the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to live there shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. They shall have no remnant or survivor from the disaster that I will bring upon them. What did God just tell them to do? Stand still. You're afraid. You're afraid of war. You're afraid of hunger. You're afraid of these things. And God has already, most of them have already been carried off, but he's telling this group that is left, the poorest of the poor, stay right where you're at. I know you're scared. I know you're scared with you, but listen, but I will have mercy on you. And I will cause Nebuchadnezzar to have mercy on you to let you stay where you are, to build a life right where you're at. God has promised mercy to people who don't actually deserve it. But still yet, He says, you come to me, and if you will believe and you will trust me, I will show you mercy. And I'll make sure you get to stay right where you are. You see, sometimes we don't feel like we're saved because we're going through difficulty. 
But on the other hand, sometimes we don't feel like God would ever decide to save us because we know what we've done. I know that I'm guilty. And I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of a lot in my life. And the devil tries to remind me of that from time to time. I'll never forget a moment that I was gripped by fear over my past. We joke about it, but they don't really know what it did to me in that moment. You see, I, they had voted on me as to be pastor of this church. And boy, I was excited. Sal, not so much. Sal wasn't as over the top happy about it as I was. But I'll follow my man, she said. And, and so I, we got here, and it, I, don't, I don't think it was the first Sunday, but it was right after we had gotten here. Mary Bowers, in all of her infinite wisdom, walked up to me, and she says, you know, I work with someone you know. Oh, Lord. I'm hoping it was somebody that likes me. She goes, you know a Brent Melbourne? And my heart went right down to my shoe. I'm not going to tell you why, but I'll just tell you, me and Brent did some things that you would not want your pastor to have done. And I just, I'm like, oh, Lord. I lasted a month. I'll be out of here sure shooting by February. I just started in January. I made it to February. I'll be the one that pastored Heritage the least amount of time. Did you hear about that one pastor only lasted a month? That's what I was thinking. Because, you know, Mary sometimes got them glasses to sit on the edge of her nose like that. And she says, I, I know somebody knows you. Oh, Lord. This is going to go bad. You see, sometimes our feelings will take us to places where we feel like, well, God doesn't love me because he's love. But the other thing, sometimes our feelings will take us to places where how could God love me? How could God do such good things for me? And I wonder if this group probably feels about both of those things, don't you think? They know why God allowed the Babylonians to come in and wipe them out. They know why. And they were a part of it. They, they, they were guilty too. And then on top of that, one of the people goes and kills this other guy. Jeremiah, will you go ask your, the Lord your God? I don't even think he would recognize me at this point. He'd probably act like he don't even know me. But that's not how God works. And that's why feelings can't be what drives our actions. There's nothing wrong with feelings. Lord knows I've been up in mind lately. But feelings, feelings will cause me to walk in fear. Instead of walk in faith. Fear at that moment when Mary had told me that, fear wanted me to just resign right on the spot and say, you know what? Maybe God didn't call me to pastor this church. I think I'll just I'll just quit while I'm ahead. But then faith says, Huff, I called you to do a job. I didn't call you based on what you have done. I called you based on what I want to do through you in your life. Not because you deserve it, but because I want it. Because God loved me. And boy, that's a, that's a big difference, isn't it? 
So God's told them people to stand still, just stay where you are, and I promise you that the things that you're scared of will not happen. I will feed you. I will take care of you, and I will make sure that mercy is shown to you. Not but because you deserve it, because you're guilty like the others, but because I love you. God shows us mercy. He is merciful. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding and always acknowledge Him. He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. God is calling us not to walk in our wisdom, but to walk in His. You see, everything that the the remnant of Judah, everything that they can see before them is bad, according to their minds. For what they see, they see a people that have already come in and destroyed the place. They see a people with an army so big, and they see a people not only with an army so big, but they also, these people, they not only can kill you, but they know how to kill you painfully. These people do things to you that today you would never allow. Even in war, we have rules that are supposed to stop the kind of behavior and torture that evil people are capable of. There's no such laws there. These people not only how to kill, they know how to kill you painfully and drag it out for days. Not only that, where are they going to be able to get their food? How are they going to be able to get what they need? How are they going to survive? That's what they see with their physical eyes. But through eyes of faith, when we lean not to our own understanding, I know that I have a God who is able. And not only a God who is able, but a God who will. It's not just enough to be able, but it's, it's will. A God that will do it. He will do what He says. We're talking about a God who has already shown us, folks, that He is able. We've already seen seen a God that we know is full of mercy and we know is able to do that and above which we can never even dream of or think of, the Bible says. He is able to do more than I could ever think of or ask. We know that He's already done these things. We know that He will show us mercy and not because we deserve it, but because He has loved us, amen? Romans 5 says God committed His love that while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. I know through reading the scriptures that man has not received mercy from God because he deserves it, but he's received mercy from God because God is merciful. By the way, these people knew the stories. They know of what God has done. They knew that he was able to do these things. I'm sure they were well aware of what God had done for the Israelites when they had left Egypt, but yet now their mind is intent on going right back into that place. You remember that place that was so bad that God led them out and took them through the Red Sea on dry ground? Listen, I love what Exodus says. It says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which He will work for you today. And maybe God's telling you right now, stand still and see what God is going to do before your very eyes. Because my friends, if he can part the Red Sea, 
that He can certainly part the trouble seas you're riding on. If Jesus can walk on the water, then I'm sure He can walk on top of the storm you're in. Amen. I like what Psalms 50 says. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in its fullest are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You see, these people weren't innocent. Just like you're not innocent. They, they, they weren't perfect. They weren't free from sin. They didn't walk in all the ways where they should be. They weren't innocent. You know what they were? They were loved. The same love God has for you. Same love God is showing you today. Romans 9, 14 through 16 says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, I like this phrase, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. You ain't got to earn it, and there's nothing you can do to deserve it. There's nothing you can do to pay for it. God is offering you mercy because He wants to. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10, through 10, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into, this marvelous, into His marvelous light, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Satan's telling you, you don't deserve his mercy. That's the only thing he got right. Amen? When Satan tells you you're not good enough, that's the only thing he says that ain't a lie. Because anything he says after that, I guarantee is going to be a lie. Because he tells me, Huff, you ain't worthy of that job. I know that. Tell me something I don't know. Then he tries to follow it up. Well, then why would God even use you? I mean, you know you're not worthy of it. You know you don't deserve it. So what makes you think he's going to give it to you? You know he ain't going to do that. You see, when the devil tells me I ain't good enough, that's the only thing he said that's right. Everything else after that is just him trying to taunt me. It's just him trying to get under my skin. And he's trying to get under your skin too. He tries to make you think you ain't good enough. He tries to make you think that God doesn't care about you. When God absolutely adores you. Not because he needs you or has to have you, but because he does love you. He just loves you. Because he chooses to. We're made in his image. I had a, a guy call me the other day, and he says, Huff, if I told you the news, I said, news of what? I'm going to be a pappy. Oh, he was so proud. I'm like, man, that's the, that is cool. 
yeah, we are so excited. He started telling me about his daughter and his daughter's husband, you know, and all this stuff. And he says, man, I'm, I'm, I, I, he said, all I've ever seen, he said, is, is one of them, uh, what them pictures they take, um, sonogram? He says, the only thing I've seen so far is a sonogram. He says, Huff, I love him already. He says, man, I can't, my heart is full of. My heart is full. Ain't even seen him yet. But I already care so much. And I thought of God telling Jeremiah, before you were ever in the womb, I knew you. I cared for you long before you were ever here. And I care about you now. Just as my buddy is so happy and so proud already to be a pappy and his grandbaby's not even here yet. I believe it's the same excitement and love God has for you and I today. Because we're made in his image. Just like that grandbaby will be his flesh and blood when it, when it arrives, we belong to him. We belong to God. We're his flesh and blood. And he cares. He loves you. And listen, you know what he's telling you? Just put the notes away and let me tell you this. He's telling you right now, listen, I've given you this message today because I want you to know I care. I want you to know that if you will trust me and not go back to your old ways, if you will trust me, I'll see you through. The things that you worry about will not come to pass if you'll just trust me. I'll love you. I'll be there for you. And I will take care of you. And I will not only show you mercy, but I will make sure others show you mercy too. Stand still. And watch God move in your life. Watch him do the things that you have not been able to do yourself. I don't know about you, but when I need something done or something's going on, I, I, I try to move the pieces. You know what I'm saying? I try to help God along sometimes. You know, sometimes we even try to call each other up and try to reason and stuff. Sometimes God just says, stand still. Just stand still. And trust that I love you. And trust that I care about you. I don't know what's in your life today. I don't know what you got going on that has you down or maybe it has you in a place where you're just questioning everything. But God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly what's happened. And you need to quit listening to the adversary who keeps telling you you're not good enough. Keeps telling you that you haven't earned it that you haven't done enough that's just the devil trying to get to you sometimes I think the devil also tries to give us that well you yeah you might be a Christian but you ain't been a Christian very long and Jesus told a story about that he talked about the workers in the field how some workers started in the morning and then some came along and started 
about lunchtime and some started near, the, near closing time or near quitting time. But they all got paid the same wage. It don't matter how long you've known the Lord, whether it's been a real long time or just a little bit of time. That's not going to change Him showing you mercy. You ain't got to pay your dues first. Just trust Him. I mean, trust Him with your whole heart. Quit walking in your own wisdom and trying to move the pieces yourself. And just trust Him. And one day you'll come tell me, Huff, you ain't going to believe it. I finally just trusted God with this thing and what God had done actually exceeded even what I desired. It exceeded even what I wanted. If you had asked me what I wanted and I'd have wrote it down on paper, God went way past that. And he'll go way past that for you if you'll trust him. Would you stand to your feet?